G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au I had a stroke and that really did change my life. Um, some of it was burnout. I was involved in the church. I, I loved the community, had three small children. We homeschooled. Bill was at Bible college. Life was good, but it was very busy and I didn't know when to say no. So I, I, I had a very, very dark time. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Well, today we have part two of my conversation with Pauline Morrison, who at 19 years of age went from New Zealand to London and unexpectedly became the nanny for the family of one of the most successful rock stars of all time. Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. Today, Pauline will share more of her life journey, including some of the profound challenges she's faced, as well as what led her and her husband, Bill, to do ministry work among indigenous people in the Northern Territory. That's all coming up today. When we ended last time, Pauline and Bill had moved from London to Australia, where in 1986, Bill became a Christian and Pauline rededicated her life to the Lord. Now here's more of Pauline sharing her story. Well, I think the next um, 12 years was character changing. Mm-hmm. I think people think you become a Christian and you become perfect. Well, that is not true <laughs> because what yes, actually I happens, sometimes it gets harder. <laughs> yes, many and, trials and, in life. And, and the truth of the matter is they were probably the most difficult 12 years and the most, as I said, the best way to describe it is character building. Mm-hmm. God took a, you know, we went through ups and downs of life. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we had, in the end, we had three small children. My husband had had a car accident. He was off off work for three years with prolapse oh, okay. discs. I had to go to work, which I never intended to. Mm-hmm. Um, we, You had the nursing background. I had a nursing background, so that was wonderful. That's actually what I did part-time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we um, got involved in that local church, and ended up, we stayed there for 16 years, and that's where we grew. We we, we began to um, really want to learn more about God and about people and how we were to live our lives. We were great community people. We loved being, in, and we were involved in the community that we lived in. And so it, it was a great time, a busy time, a time of... Uh, Learning about God, but learning about life. Hmm. And, and how to do life with God. How to do life with through God. Through the valleys. Through the valleys, through the highs, and through the lows. So mm-hmm. yeah, there, it was stretching, but it was right, and we just kept going. And what were some of the challenges you faced? Well, I think... You the, mentioned some. Yeah, so so Bill having um, the back issue was... was you know, we learnt a great respect for each other at that time, and I think that time cemented our marriage very strongly, mm-hmm. because we built each other up, even though at times was really hard. We knew that we had to get through that time, so mm-hmm. we did that. Um, in the midst of all all of that, 
uh, Bill had the challenge of feeling God was saying to him to learn more. So he ended up going to Bible college. Mm-hmm. And in that time, we also became really, God was really stretching us on the issue of prayer. And we, we became very involved in um, prayer for the local area in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. But at the same time for me, God was enlarging my heart for Australia. I was a Kiwi, remember? And uh, often there's a bit of rivalry, isn't yeah, there, between yeah. the two? So he was really increasing my heart for Australia. Um, I didn't know much about the history. So in 2000, uh, uh, 1995, I think it was, I was invited to go to Canberra to a praise corroboree, which was prayer and worship outside Parliament House for mm-hmm. a week. Mm-hmm. And this really changed my life. I met my first Indigenous person and actually talked to an Indigenous person. And I didn't know at that time just how that was going to work out in the future. And at the same yeah, time... Yeah, we're getting a little bit ahead of yeah, ourselves, but that that will play a big part in your life in later years. Yeah. But let's go back a little bit. In the late 90s, you suffered a stroke? I had a stroke, and that really did change my life. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it was burnout. I loved everything I did. I'm a pretty glass half full person, and I was involved in the church. I, I loved the community. Had three small children. We homeschooled. Bill was at Bible college. Life was good, mm-hmm. but it was very busy, and I didn't know when to say no. Mm-hmm. And and I think life, unfortunately, a common problem for many people in ministry. Very. How common. can you say no? It's the Lord's work. And I loved it. It's not like I was mm-hmm. sitting at home going, oh, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And, um, yes, yeah, so I did. I had a stroke and my world fell apart. Mm-hmm. What I loved to do, I couldn't do. And the grief was real. The grief actually was that I had done what God had not asked me to do. So in all the things that I had done and loved, They were all good things. Mm -hmm. But the realisation that God hadn't actually said, yeah, you do that, Pauline. I had loved it, so I did it and just assumed that that's what God had wanted me to do. So I I, I had a very, very dark time. It it may be a bit hard to understand, but that was my grief. That was the, the real crux of my grief that I had to work through that. Well, how do I know what you want me to do? You know, and I just felt so guilty. Because you felt guilty that I had done. I, I here I was, unwell, a young Christian, a, yeah, relatively, relatively young, yeah. And how could this happen when I just loved what I was doing and I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do? So really, God through that, especially that next year, it, it physically and emotionally, it took me a year. And people gave me some very great advice, but people gave me some very bad advice. And mm. so you, you're processing all that. It was a type of depression, mm. um, and physically you're trying to get strong. You've got three children, and mm. you know Bill was in his last year of Bible college, so everything just mm. fell. Didn't fell. He did finish. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you were learning that it's okay to say no, even to really good stuff. I had to learn that because mm. I couldn't have gone on like yeah. I was doing. I didn't know that, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's times now when I think, oh, that'd be great. But I know now how to take a step back and go, Mm. do I need to do that? Is that the right thing for me to do? And so it was a pretty steep learning curve Mm -hmm. Mm. and uh, took a while. Now, 
any after effects of the stroke? You seem to be fine here today. I am fine. It, it, you know, by the year 2000, um, I had, did have, get some healing, mm-hmm. you know, um, but by the year of 2000, I could say, you know, I'm well now. I'm, oh, I'm on the way. Yeah. And then what was the next chapter in your life? Well, you mentioned meeting a, an indigenous person. I did. We is had, that part of it? That is part of it. We had nine years at a, Bill pastored in a church at Nara for nine years. And when that time came to an end and um, we had time with our supervisor discussing what we would do next and uh, talked about, you know, ministry opportunities in the churches. And he was sitting at our kitchen table and he just said, I don't know why I'm saying this, but have you two considered Central Australia? Nope. We hadn't. We didn't know anything about it. And so from there, we knew it was right. We had had a prophecy when we were at that, when I was at that praise corroboree, a woman from our group had given me a prophecy that, one, I would be a pastor's wife making cucumber sandwiches. (laughs) Well, that was a bit of a joke. Because if you knew me, that was not my cup of tea. Oh, no. I had no desire to be a pastor's wife, and Bill had no desire really to be a pastor. And the next part of that prophecy was that down the tracks you really believed that we would be sitting in a field of gold Mm. or a field of yellow and it would probably be an outback Australia. So we knew when that was given that we had to put it away, that Mm -hmm. vision, that prophecy away, Mm. because in our eyes there was no way that could happen. Um, So when he said it, we knew it was right. We thought Mm. this is... This is the yellow, Mm -hmm. this is the desert, and it's the outback. And uh, so we went with um, GIA at the time, Global Interaction, which is now Australian Baptist Mission, Mm -hmm. and we worked um, in Indigenous communities. Um, Our role was called support workers. So we were in those communities to empower and mentor and come alongside the church leaders and and live in the communities and be with the people. Mm. So you were missionaries inside of Australia? Inside of Australia. How about that? And it was quite a thing for people to get their head around. Because stereotypically, you think of a missionary overseas in grass huts and all that, but there are people who need the Lord to be reached in remote areas of Australia. That's right. And it is real. It mm-hmm. is, you know, we're all called to to preach the gospel in love. And that mm-hmm. is um, being a missionary where you're planted and we're mm-hmm. just planted in different places. And for um, 11 years, that was our our plant. That's where we were. And we loved it. Mm-hmm. There were many challenges, of course, many yes. great Tell us things. about those challenges. Um, what comes to mind? The, the, the first thing is just being in another culture. Mm-hmm. That What's was, the... First impression. Oh my goodness, we were so excited, and we just knew it was right. And we did. We, you have any training or prior experience? We had. Yes, you you could not go out without. We had training. The mission mm-hmm. gave you training, mm-hmm. not not so much indigenous training, but mission cross cultural mission, which mm-hmm. was excellent. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it did help. So you might not have physically been in a geographic other country overseas, but you were in a another culture. We were certainly in another culture, yeah. and one that. We knew very little about – we did a lot of research, so we thought we had a pretty good grounding. And when you get into these places, um, you want to blend in. You want to be able to build relationships mm-hmm. and um, get to know the people and get to know the culture. So the first 12 months is basically just sitting and listening mm-hmm. and learning. And uh, we made some big mistakes, you know, um, but they would gently say, oh, 
no, don't do that, or no, you can't go there, or wait, we'll show you. You know, it's like when they have their sorry times, when someone dies and my... There, there are what times? When someone dies in an Indigenous community um, in Central Australia, you have what is called sorry time, which is where you go to a place and you grieve together. Mm. Usually it's out in the dirt or it might be behind someone's home. Mm. And pastoral care to me was when someone dies, you go and visit, you take a casserole. As you do. As you do. Mm-hmm. So when the first person died in the church, I'm like, right, casserole. wonder what kind of casserole they like. Got it all together in my head, and then I said to Bill, well, who gets the casserole? Hmm. Who do you give the casserole to? Because there's probably 30 or 40 people sitting there, or family, as we know. it's, it's a Yeah. Fa- what do you do? Well, I didn't do anything. I didn't make the casserole. I just went. Bill and I just went, and they showed us how to do sorry. And, and what they expected of us. And what is it? What do you do? We went and we, we cried with them and we sat with them and we walked around and shook hands and sometimes they wanted us to say, other times that's enough, you can go now. Or uh, As with the longer we were there, sometimes I would make the massive batch of scones or damper and take, you know, like a big clump of butter and a, a big clump of jam and give it to the old ladies. You know, mm-hmm. that was probably the length of my practical pastoral mm, care in that mm. way. So so learning how to do that, you know, as a woman, yeah. how do we do pastoral care in Victoria was not how you do pastoral care in the yeah. outback in an Indigenous community. So that was very, very confronting. Our guest today is once again Pauline Morrison, who was born in New Zealand and at 19 years of age went to London to become a nanny. Today we're hearing more of her life journey and about some of the challenges she's faced doing ministry work in the Northern Territory. We'll hear more of Pauline's story when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Skadabo, and today, once again, I'm chatting with Pauline Morrison, who's sharing her life journey. Before the break, Pauline shared about some of the challenges that she and her husband faced being missionaries in an indigenous community in the Northern Territory. Next, she shares about some of the most fulfilling moments she experienced. The most fulfilling time is when you sat with them in the dirt and you related with them. And you weren't, you might look different, but you weren't different because we went out regularly on church camps and, and when you sat in the dirt with them and you talked with them about Jesus, we're all one, aren't we? And we're talking the same language, maybe in a different, some different cultural implications, but definitely the same faith. And so that was a really great learning experience. And, and the other thing... And, and did people put their faith in the Lord? Oh, they did. We had uh, in Kalkaringi for a couple of years, it was a great... Uh, move of God went through there and 
we just saw people coming to the mm. Lord and families coming to the Lord, and mm. that lasted for about 12 months. And f- out of that came new church leaders, new vision, new mm. desire to learn more about God, more desire to meet together, and um, nothing like having a sing-along to one or two o'clock in the morning, you know? Um, <laughs> Very different Those culturally. were the joys, yeah. and yeah. I, I think learning how to do life together on the mm. community is what it was all about. So it doesn't matter if you're deep in the desert in northern Australia or a rock star in London. People need the Lord. You're all wired the same way. That's exactly right. And I think as I look back and even in preparation for this, you begin to see that the experiences of life bring about who you are. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I look back then mm-hmm. and and then the next five years and then the next five years and how it builds on who you are. And it's life. It's about how you do life. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're a Christian or not, you have to learn about life. You have to live your life. And sometimes life is pretty battering. And mm. how do you do that? And I think being in an Indigenous community, they are battered around in many different ways that mm. we don't have to struggle with. But there's some terrific stories of forgiveness and how we hear the negative stuff about mm. how badly they've been treated and and it is. It's some of it is, you know, some of the things we heard about what had happened to them was horrific. Mm. But in in it, in the two communities we were in, Kalkaringi and Lajamanu, we also heard about forgiveness and what mm. forgiveness, how they had forgiven and how they moved on, mm. you know, and that was pretty amazing. So you came there, you and your husband came there to minister, but it sounds like you were ministered to in a way as well. Oh, so deeply. They accept you for who you are. Mm. And if they feel you're right, they will help you. And their culture... We had some wonderful people around us, local people mm-hmm. around us, and there were some really tough things that happened where we were involved and stuff that wouldn't happen here. And we had to navigate that as a, as a, as a, just as a person, as a couple, as a Christian. Um, and, of course, you could imagine as a Christian there were some things that blew our mind. We didn't understand. Mm-hmm. We had to learn about why did you do that? Why is this happening? Why is this part of your culture? And as we began to ask questions and learn and listen, we began to really appreciate the culture and the people and Mm. the relationships. Mm. I think one of the – I'll just tell one one story was – we finished there in, at the end of 2019. We left the communities in 2019. And uh, every year the four communities, Walaura, Ali Karung, Yindamu, Kalkaringi and Lajamana get together for Easter. And it was uh, – we didn't realise at the time that it would be our last Easter. Um, it was at Walaura, which was, oh, our, you know, seven or eight hours down the Stewart Highway and off on the dirt road. Bill got sick. And he couldn't go. Mm. And I said, I can't go. I'm not going down there. I mean, I wasn't scared, but it was a long way to travel on your own. Mm. Yeah. And it became very clear that I was to drive down there. Um, The young couple who were at Yindamu, working in Yindamu, doing a similar role, were going to meet meet us there. So Friday morning, Easter Friday morning, the church leaders would meet and discuss what was going to happen over the weekend and 
have a chat, you know, and how they were going to run it and stuff like that. They'd sit under a tree or wherever they were. Mm. Well, this particular Friday morning, um, the young couple weren't arriving till lunchtime and they decided, and the community it's in, that church ran, ran the weekend. Mm. Now, these are Indigenous people leading Right, mm-hmm. so we get to this big tree, sitting in the dirt again, <laughs> and, again in the, the dirt. The, uh, the old ladies, the old grannies, the old nubbinungas, and that they had a big. They'd built a bow shelter, and they were sitting under there. Built that way. A bow shelter, which is basically some sticks with a bit of, oh, you know, shelter. Shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, there were probably be eighty or ninety people sitting around in the dirt, mm-hmm. and the church leaders got up and started to lead and. You know, they had a bit of singing and then they shared. And so so there would probably be 80 or 90 people there mm-hmm. in, sitting in the dirt. And I was looked around and I thought, hmm, that's all right, I'm the only white one. Mm. And I had such a feeling of that was, I didn't know, we, that was, we did not know at that time we were going to finish at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But for me, that was like the pinnacle of our time up there. That was like. Because? I was just amongst them. Mm. I wasn't white. You felt accepted. I was no one. No one said, "Oh, you're all right. You come over." No, I just sat down, and mm. and it might not sound much, but that is, you know, one one white lady in amongst all these indigenous mm. people, and it was so warm. And well, it was hot, but it was <laughs> it was a very accepting, warm yeah. experience, and one that uh, they did that whole weekend themselves. You know, mm. they. You know, we we can't. So you felt it was right. It was right for me to be there, and it was right for me to see these guys just leading this weekend so beautifully. Mm. You know, and and they were leaders, and Mm. they were leading. And did you help train them? Yes, on the northern communities, we 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 did do some a part of our time. We we did do five communities for a few years. So yes, we were a part of training, Mm. training them, and um, so there was that sense of God. You really. I never thought I would be doing this all those years ago, and here I am sitting in the middle of the, sitting in the middle of Australia in the dirt, in the dirt, with a group of Indigenous people that I just love, mm. and it was so very special, actually. Mm. Mm. Did they ask you to dance? Not that day. <laughs> oh, it's some other day. Oh yes, we had. Um, was it awkward? You'd like me to share the yeah, story. Well, there was an awkward dance thing. I'm Please sure tell that story. I'm sure you've all seen photos of Indigenous ladies dancing. And um, in Lajamanu, the ladies were great relationship builders. And so one day they called into our house and said, we're going up to pray up the road. You want to come? So off six ladies, off we go. Um, we get out over the grid. Uh, no cars. You know, this is out in the whoop whoops. And uh, one of the ladies bent down and picked up some okra. And she said, oh, come on, let's paint Nubbanunga up like a Walpri lady. So they're, Meaning you. Meaning me. Nubbanunga <laughs> is my skin. Walpri is the, the tribe. Mm-hmm. So they're there and, um, you know, painting up my face. Come on, let's show her how to dance. Got so any pictures all... of that? No. Oh, that'd be, that'd be a picture, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's better not to have pictures. It's just telling the story. So, so we were five or six ladies along this dirt road, stinking hot, and these ladies have got me dancing away up the road. No, not like that, not like that. And you had to do your little feet steps and and everything. And we get to the top of the hill and then right now we pray. So we spent five or ten minutes, great prayers, you know, yeah, we're up there yeah. praying away and uh, we start coming down the hill and, come on now, we got to dance. you got to show us how to do it. And so I'm doing it, but they all get behind me and don't do it. 
And they'll watch, and I turn around, and here are these ladies just in hysterics. As my husband <laughs> drives up the drives up, it started to rain, so he's driving up to come pick us up. No, you go with him. No, you go with him. Nugga nugga. And then he goes. They go. Jibberula is his name, right? Jibberula. She's got to give you a dance. She's got to show you how we taught her to dance when she gets home. And so the sense of humour was amazing. And we often. Well, they got a kick out of watching. They got a dance, kick out yeah. of watching, and I got a kick out of doing it. And so there were several times in the years after that where they'd say, "Come on, you come and you." I would choose my time. You know, <laughs> if it was a really big public thing, you wouldn't. Yeah. But there were times when I would. I mean, and uh, it, it was fun. But that sounds like you obviously were accepted. You were part of them. Yeah. That they would feel comfortable enough to ask you to dance and dance with them and all that, and, and you felt comfortable enough. To let your hair down and yeah. dance and all that. Yeah, so so it's a bit like uh, mission is not just about preaching the word. It's mm, yeah. mission is about living with with the people that you want to interact with. Sometimes awkwardly dancing, <laughs> awkwardly dancing. Sometimes you know having to do the hard stuff too. So mm. yeah. Well, unfortunately, our time's coming to an end. But also, your time up there in the Northern Territory came to an end. You've returned to the Melbourne area. What are you doing now? Um, Bill has a. Interim pastor's position at Ventry Gully Baptist for a period of time. So at the moment, that's uh, what we're doing. We're um, enjoying that for not sure how much longer, but. And yeah. recently you shared at a woman's tea? Recently we had a woman's morning tea at our home and. Where you shared about Pink Floyd? And that's how I got to meet you. <laughs> that's right. And it's not often I do that, but Somebody I. Somebody I know was there yeah. and told me, hey, you might want to talk to this lady who uh, was the nanny for a member of Pink Floyd, and that got my attention. It got your attention. Having been raised listening to Pink Floyd music, yes. Yeah, yeah, I did, and it was, um, as I told you before, I would very, very rarely publicly do I say that out of respect for the family, because mm -hmm. it's, but that day I just, it just well, it, there's, popped out as I shared my testimony. <laughs> many years later, I think you can share about it now. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Pauline Morrison, thank you so much for sharing your remarkable story. Thank you. Well, that was part two of my conversation with Pauline Morrison, who's now a pastor's wife, as her husband Bill is the pastor of a church on the east side of Melbourne. And what a remarkable life journey Pauline has been on, from being a nanny for the children of a world-famous rock star in London, to sitting in the middle of the desert in the Northern Territory and doing ministry work with indigenous people. Pauline's life has been quite an adventure. Well, thanks so much for joining us for Pauline's life journey. Until next time, I'm Eric Scadabo. So long. God bless. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.